This week on the Boag World Show, we're joined by Jason Parmental to discuss how the shape of our organizations impact the user experience. This week's show is brought to you by Media Temple, Headscape, and Star Wars The Force Awakening, because everything is these days. Welcome to BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul. Joining me as always is Marcus. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, kind of winding down for Christmas. Nice and early. Yeah. Well, it, is, it is only four weeks away, isn't it? Four weeks tomorrow. Well, you know, I mean, that's only a twelfth of the year, isn't it? There's no point doing any more work now. And of course... Today is Thanksgiving. It is. As we're recording this. So a huge thank you to Jason, who is on the show with us. Hello, Jason. Hi there. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, thank you. Happy not Thanksgiving, but almost Christmas break to the two of you. Yes. And congrats. Yeah, we, we don't do Thanksgiving, do we? No, we're not, not. we're not thankful, are we, really, as a nation? <laughs> we're just a little bit moany about things. Yeah, but you you have you have so many more bank holidays during the year that I feel like this is the least we could do to one up you on at least one day of the year. Well, yeah, we do have loads of bank holidays, and of course, a lot more holiday than you as well. Although I do think it's slightly interesting that as a nation you choose to celebrate, um, you know, surviving your first winter thanks to the Native Americans and then killing them all. Well, I I can't take credit or apologize anymore. Okay. Right. It's it's we we have a bit of a dark past although I'm fairly certain that none of my ancestors were directly responsible for that. Well, I mean of course it's no more weird than the fact that we celebrate the 5th of November which is um a time where a terrorist tried to blow up the House of Parliament and then we burnt him alive at a stake. So to be honest that's even darker I think. Looks well, a little bit different though Paul. I, I have got my kind of shall I edit this bit out going on in my head. Why? <laughs> Why? We do celebrate weird things, don't we? I guess we do. Yes. Yes, Paul. I don't see what's wrong wrong with that. Is it a bit politically sensitive to talk about? But that's essentially what 5th of November was, wasn't it? No, I was referring. I was referring to thanks the Thanksgiving oh, reference. Well, rather than <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Oh, the smallpox and a pile of blankets. Well, yeah. It's it's not really the best bit of history, but. But it's there. It's it happened. There's not yeah, really much and, we can do about it. And it's uh, yeah. I mean, these uh, you know, you got to look at yeah. I mean, if you look at the British Empire, we make you guys look like amateurs in terms of <laughs> abusing and and you know uh, harassing other people. Have you heard the latest one? Where the India has asked for their their um, that big jewel in the in the in the, um, the Queen's crown back. Yeah, I did hear about that. I hadn't heard that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was great. There was a really funny interview with um, I think it was George Osborne, who's our our kind of finance minister. We call him a chancellor. And um, he essentially, you know, he, he he kind of went through this long kind of explanation. Which basically boiled to down to you know kind of no 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 no, no, no. we've got it you can't have it essentially yes (laughs) 
you know, and it was just really interesting to watch him squirm over it. But you see, it's a dangerous precedent, isn't it? Because if we give back that, then, you know, we're going to have to give back everything else that we've stolen from people. And, you know, places like the British Museum would just be empty. It would just be this big (laughs) empty hall with nothing in it. So. (laughs) Well, yes. It's true. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving, Jason? Oh, well, we normally have a big crowd here at our house. My parents live about a half hour away, and my mom, uh, my, one of my mom's sisters lives close by, and, um, and, and everything kind of got upended a little bit because my wife's parents decided to come up from New York, and, and okay. we all get along very well, uh, but they had decided they wanted to take us out for Thanksgiving. And so now we're just doing it twice. So we're having <laughs> Thanksgiving with them today. And then we're hosting my family and the kids. Uh, so um, my my wife was married previously, and, and we're all actually very good friends with uh, with her ex husband, who's the father of our two children. Okay. And he and his girlfriend are coming over, and we're having a big crowd here tomorrow. So oh wow, nice. yeah, yeah, it's good. So is it Thanksgiving properly tomorrow then? No, it's today, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. Uh, it is. It is. It is today. Tomorrow, more properly, is Black Friday, the worst day of the year to ever go to a retail establishment in the United right, States. Yes, yes. It, we're, yes, we're beginning we, to we get it. We have that plague now as well. Yeah, you've, you've infected us, oh. talking <laughs> of smallpox. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. So we've, we've now got Black Friday over here, which I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, it's, I, I mean, also, I, again, referencing back to a very dark day in our own history and like what happened in the stock market i mean there's just all kinds of terrible references going on mm. i mean what what's but the, the kind of underlying principle of thanksgiving being thankful i think it's a lovely idea for a holiday oh, absolutely. the idea you know let's let's take a holiday and just be grateful for our lives like what a bloody brilliant idea really and, and in most cases except when you bring up the idea of like it's with smallpox it's the kind of holiday in the u.s that you can talk about with anyone and not worry about someone's religious background or anything because generally speaking everyone celebrates that and so it's it's kind of nice everyone tends to be really cheerful and um and it's just i don't know it's just a a warm day and a time i I am quite pleased you've decided to spread out your family over a couple of days because it's reminiscent of a there was a great TV program over here in um, Britain called The Vicar of Dibley. Yeah. And uh, it's about this female vicar who, um, and they did a Christmas special once where you know, she was far too, like all British people, and particularly Anglican vicars, was far too polite to turn down invitations to Christmas dinner. So she had like five Christmas dinners in one day. <laughs> and, you know, and, it, and so it's it just so funny. And our Christmas dinners are a bit like your thing. I don't know. Do you have big? Do you have a big kind of spread on Christmas Day like you do Thanksgiving? Well, I think some. I think a lot of people do. I mean, it's um, it's never been such a big thing for us uh, in my family or in my wife's family. Right. Uh, well, of course, my wife's family is Jewish, so that's oh, not really yeah. a thing for them at all. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's usually lots of family getting together, but it's not the the big production that is thanksgiving i mean normally you know the kitchen gets started at like seven in the morning and you know we're not eating until five but there's there's (laughs) there's pie production there's potato production there's all other you know and then turkey's in the oven for you know hours on end and 
So now, now this is I've got an important question. You mentioned potato production. Okay. This is very Sounds very important. This is very important. Do you have mashed potato or do you have roast potatoes? Do you even know do, is roast potatoes a thing in America? Oh, yet? oh it, it absolutely is. Oh, um, good. So and and that was uh, we have a rotation of potato dishes. Okay. So well, more than one. Yes. Um so mashed potatoes do happen but less frequently. Roast, good. Roast potatoes uh, so like small ones quartered and then yeah. roasted with a little bit of olive oil and salt and pepper and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that's mm-hmm. a big hit in the family. So we have uh-huh. that often. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the odd holiday one that I know we're doing tomorrow, which I'm very happy about, is um, it's uh, a dish of sweet potatoes with this maple crumble glaze on it. You see, it's this really is, good. good, doesn't it? The, yeah, but it's that whole kind of well, let's mix sweet and savory together that Americans like. That that <laughs> I have to admit is really nice, but I kind of disapprove of it on moral grounds. <laughs> I, I can't explain it in any other Culinary way than that. Grounds. Culinary grounds. I'm yeah. just glad to hear that you have some morals, Paul, because I've questioned <laughs> it over the years. <laughs> This is very true. And from the sounds of it as well, you're not quite doing the roast potatoes right. Because the thing is, is you're cooking them in a little bit of olive oil. Now, good roast potatoes, they need to be cooked in the fat of the bird. Got it. And and so so that they soak up all the fat. In fact, what you want to really do is you parboil your potatoes and then you shake them in a colander. Cooking show. Yeah, this is. We now have a cookie. We have. You <laughs> shake them in a colander because then you break the surface of the potatoes so they soak up even more of the fat. And you've ever done this, have you, Paul? I, excuse me. <laughs> I take exception to that. I have watched my wife carefully do things like this. <laughs> That's about now the, right, now the fuller story comes out. Anyway, I'll, tell you, I'll give you another tip while we're on roast potatoes, Paul. Yeah. Once you've bashed them in the colander, yeah, and you tip them into the goose fat, yeah, the best goose part, fat, the best, absolutely best of all, yeah. Then get um, start them cooking, and about halfway through, about say twenty minutes or so, get your potato masher out <gasps> and just crush the tops of them yeah. a bit. Yeah, and that lets more of the goose fat in. It's there you go. Basically, so, they are just a receptacle for fat. You have. <laughs> You've got it slightly wrong, though, for Thanksgiving. Oh, because we, not uh, many people make a Thanksgiving goose. Okay. What do you have, then? It's a turkey. Yeah, Traditionally, well, we, it's a turkey. Yeah, it is here in it, here for Christmas Day. But honestly, people go out and buy goose fat. Just to do the potatoes. <laughs> Just for the potatoes. Seriously. I'm not kidding you. I know that sounds like we're making it up. <laughs> I I can only imagine. I, I'm, I'm sure that there are... Um, I was just I was imagining the separate oven to cook the goose to get the fat. So this Pretty is much. a better it's a better answer, yeah. really. I, I I can't help but sit here feeling slightly hypocritical that me, a Englishman, mm-hmm. is giving an American advice on culinary things because we are yeah. well known for our outstanding culinary abilities <laughs> in this country. <laughs> well, we're not as bad as we used to be. No, we're not. I and and I that has been borne out by recent experience. I first came to the UK for work back in maybe 2001 and have been back a number of times since. And, and I guess probably the last time I saw the two of you together was in London last year for Future mm-hmm. Web Design. And I had some really good food when I was over 
last yeah, year. Yeah, we, 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 we're not such a third world country anymore when it comes to food, which is good. We still can't do a proper steak. Oh, you speak for yourself. I still, you're, you're <laughs> thinking about, yeah, but all right. But it's a lot cheaper in America. It tends to be met better cuts, in my, my opinion. There are the occasional exception over here, but generally speaking, in my yeah, opinion. I guess. But maybe we should talk to Jason about what he actually does for a living. Do I really? Oh, right. No, well, forget it. No, but, I'm I joking. mean, <laughs> it's, it's all related to user experience. Go on, then. I want to hear you. I want to hear you twist this now <laughs> to, to take the conversation about Thanksgiving and cooking and, and turn it into a user experience related thing. I reckon you can do this, Jason. Go. Oh, this, this is easy because it's all about the experience of being at the table with your family, with all of these things and all the smells that start to sort of permeate the house and the little things that you can nibble on during the day and mm. being scolded by my wife and told to get out of the kitchen. Um, it all adds up it to does. the experience. It does. Mm, yeah. It does. And and that moment when everything kind of rolls out and you have it all on the table and then you realize the dog has pulled the turkey carcass off the counter, <laughs> it is exceptional. I, yeah. You've painted a wonderful picture there. And and it's a true story. It happened a few years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, uh, same happened to us years ago. Yeah, it was. I, thankfully, most of the meat had been carved off of it, so we were mostly laughing about it. But my parents were a bit horrified. <laughs> anyway, so Dogs, bless them. This is a fair comment, mine that that Marcus makes. It would be great to maybe talk a little bit about kind of what you do, and then sure. So, t- tell us a little bit background about yourself, and you know what you're doing these days, who you're working for, all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Um, well. Um, I, I should start off with, uh, I'm a long-time listener, but first-time caller. I've <laughs> been listening to you guys for many, many years now. And, I'm sorry. Um, I, you know, it's, I feel like I'm working my way up. I contributed a joke a while back. I got to make fun of you on stage at a conference last year, and, and now I've kind of worked my way up to being on the show. Well, um, up or down, it depends on your attitude. <laughs> but, but yeah, okay, fair enough. We'll go with that. It's different. Yeah. Um, so I've been uh, I've been involved in web design and development um, since about 1994. Um, or wow, I guess same we're, time as me. Yeah, it's, we're supposed to relate it to what tags were available then, right? So I guess <laughs> image tag was kind of new. There was no mm-hmm. table tag yet. Um, mm-hmm. First browsers that I tested for were Mosaic and Netscape One. That's the ones. Um, so there's there's my there's my street cred, right? So I've got yeah. that covered. Um, I don't know whether that is street cred anymore. I don't know. I guess Do you know, we're we're just the cranky old men now. Yeah, it's a bit like it's the kind of music. Mu- sorry, the music equivalent of saying, "Oh yeah, I went to see the Beatles live." You know, it should have massive cred, but uh, young people just look at you and go, "Who are the Beatles?" It, it would with me. I have uh, my wife bought me the re-released set of all of their remastered albums Ooh. on on CD, and I promptly imported them all with no compression whatsoever. Well, of course. So I have like over four gigabytes of Beatles on my, <laughs> on my laptop and my phone at all times. Fantastic. Very worthwhile. Yeah. But anyway, so yes. Okay. So that's what, that's um, kind of your history. What are you doing um, these days? Um, well, I am, 
Uh, I, well, we've sort of come in contact through conferences over the years. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of writing and speaking about web fonts and web typography. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been just more of a, the passion side of things and they really have been interested in for many years. Um, but more recently, uh, la- early in this past year, um, I started at a company called Fresh Tilled Soil in Boston. And we are a uh, digital product and experience strategy and design company. Um, so we've got a team. I know we'll, we'll come back to all, all of those terrible buzzwords we just used in that. Well done. Um, I, I knew if I didn't say it, you would. So, um, I, I think that, uh, it's probably best described as, um, we specialize in user experience for digital products. Okay. And, uh, and, and I say digital products mainly because we do work on a lot of product type platforms and applications, and then also some websites. And that's, um, my role is now uh, the director of design and product experience, mm-hmm. and um, mainly it's uh, leading the strategy on some projects, but also more importantly, really looking at how we work internally um, and how we go about our process of working on a project and uh, teaching some new tricks and and kind of helping everybody work a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more agile, a little bit more iterative. Um, so teaching a lot of stuff to our design team and working with our development director on how we do more pairs design and development, um, teach the designers more about um, working directly with code. And um, it's been really great. Everyone's been really excited about it. This role is, is pretty new for me there over the last mm-hmm. couple months. Sounds I like your offices. They're lovely. Ooh, are they? Um, I, it is I haven't a, been looking at the offices. It is a beautiful place to work. And, and it's, it's very telling for me, just personally. Um, I've worked in a few different companies, as you could imagine, over the years. And uh, this is the only one that I've liked to be at this much. Mm. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and, and so even after, you know, I guess it's about nine months now that I've been there, um, it's about an hour drive each way, and while I could work from home more, uh, I just prefer to be there. It's a beautiful space. It's it's tons of really smart and and energetic and interesting people, and um, we just uh, we're working on a lot of neat things. So it's it's a joy to be there. Wow, it looks a lovely place. I have to mm. say, you're not on the list of people, Jason. Yes, he is. Yeah, well, I'm there. Is he? I'm there. I'm the, he's in there. He's he's on the fourth. Oh yeah, there down. you are. Yeah, there you are. Yeah. See. Sorry, I was expecting you near the top, Jason. Sorry. Oh, it's it's wow, actually yeah. it's somewhat random. I think I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but the the order does change around periodically. Uh, okay. It's whoever whoever the person that's editing the website currently likes the most, probably. So you're probably. not doing particularly well on that rating. No, you need to suck up some more. I do, I do. I probably need to like give away more things. I don't. That's know. always good. Right, so so before we kind of get into to the subject for today, I just want to um, give a shout out to to our long term sponsor in Media Temple, um, who have now they've now done the entire season. This is the last podcast of the season. Um, I know, I know, you're so <laughs> sad. Hold in those tears, dear listener. It'll come back. It will be. We will come back. Yes. You, you need to be careful with these things because sometimes when I say it's the end of the season, people think, oh, they're going off, they're going off air permanently. <laughs> they wish. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get away from us that easily. The proverbial so, bad penny. Yeah, exactly. 
So, yes, Media Temple. Thank you guys, Media Temple, so much for supporting the whole series. And I thought, what's the one thing I want to focus on as the very last chance to get you guys to go and check out Media Temple? What, in my humble opinion, is what sets them apart from everybody else as a hosting company? And that number one thing without a shadow of doubt is their support um as i've said many times throughout the season i host with media temple i have for a long time and i cannot stress how good their their support is and i don't have any special support because you know they're a sponsor or anything like that Uh, you know i go through the same processes as everybody else and without fail they have always fixed my problem even when it's not their problem which 99.9% of the time it's my cock up rather than theirs Um, I I know it's hard to believe that I make mistakes but it happens Um, especially with hosting for some reason I seem to be the kiss of death anyway you'll find you will find cheaper hosting companies out there right but you will not find a hosting company that provides you with better support and inevitably where you go for a cheaper option that is what gets cut is the support and let's be honest the support is what matters you want to know when your website goes down that it's going to be fixed instantaneously by magic and that's what it feels like half the time i have um uh, occasionally I get a, a thing through from, uh, is it Pingdom? I think it is, that, that monitors my website to tell me yep. that it's down. And actually, inevitably, by the time I check that my website's down, it's back up again already. Um, when I break my website, I can go straight on. I can get super fast answers via Twitter, email, live chat, you name it. You can get people to, to um, they're answering and helping you. In fact, I very rarely do email anymore because that kind of goes into a ticketing system and, and takes a little bit longer. So I use the live chat and I'm talking to someone straight away and they fix my problem. And you can go back and forth really easily. 24-7 call support. You can pick up the phone and talk to them. I obviously don't do that because I don't like talking to other human beings um so i prefer the live chat facility um they've also got a great um systems incident board where you can go and see whether there are any uh, current instant um incidents going on um it's a page as i said last time that i hate with a vengeance because inevitably it it shows that it's my problem and my mistake that's caused the issue rather than something wrong with their system um they've got extensive self-help resources amazing community that support if you want a well-supported website go with media temple um you can get a special discount as a boag world listener using the promo code boag b-o-a-g that'll give you 25 percent off of your web hosting with them and you can get that by going to boagworld.com forward slash media temple and then just enter the promo code when you sign up it is worth every penny do it i've never come across a best better hosting company and i would be saying that even if they weren't paying me to say it I, I they're yeah, not paying yeah. me and i totally <laughs> agree with you i've been using them for years there you go and so, ditto. and you've you've mentioned their support of the design community and oh. and yeah. i i've got to tell you, so i've been i've done a lot of conference talks and i have a spot in my office where i sort of hang up all of the badges from the different <laughs> conferences over the years yeah and it's just kind of fun to it's a little reminder um but looking at the lanyards I would say yeah. three quarters of them are Media Temple lanyards because they sponsored those events, and yeah. and that is 
there and and a number of them are local events too and I've organized mm. local events and if you give them a call and say we've got this meetup this small one day event that we're doing um can you help me with that they will just send you a box full of stuff they're so supportive mm. of community efforts to make the web better yeah um, they're they're really just they're they're great people to to work with yeah they really are absolutely so let's get on to um our topic for hang day. on paul Hang on, I've just got to pick um, pick Jason up on a continuity issue with the Fresh Tilled Soil website. <laughs> I don't think he's personally responsible for this website. Yeah, uh, well, he can take it back, can't he? Okay. Uh, in the picture, all of the desks are white. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, in the main picture. Uh-huh. And yet, if you go through to everyone's... Um, their personal bio yeah. there's a picture of their desk which i think or a desk all oh, right it's not their desk <gasps> it's kind of full of stuff that's all kind of you know relevant to them lovely idea actually because it's quite hard when you're designing it your agency website of well, what we're going to have on the pictures wise so great idea but it's on a brown desk is that really you're going to pick up on that that's mm-hmm. what you well i, I details, would i would detail and and there was never one done for me so Ah. I have a feeling that there is a finite number of images that are used, and I'm not exactly certain that it is intentional. They're all the same. No, they're not. They're all, I've just gone to three, and they've all been the same at the top. Oh, uh, no, now I've found a different one. So I, I think it's, um, I think it's a, a, a great idea that, uh, I mean, the company has, like, over the last three or four years, probably doubled in size. Right. So I suspect. Mm. I also know that um, we are we are taking our own medicine and are in the process of running a series of design sprints with our CEO as the client, and we have a team internally that is is redesigning the agency site and and use and sticking slavishly to our own process to do it. So it's it's been an interesting thing to watch. I'm not actually on the team uh, working on it, but. Um, there's some really good people who are, so I suspect that we're going to end up with a really wonderful new site out of this, you know, sometime in the new year. Nobody, no, no agency is capable of designing their own website. <laughs> well, we learned our lesson and basically kicked the CEO off the project. And ah, so now yeah. he's, yes, Richard is a fantastic guy. He's also a really talented speaker and writer. Um, and one of, one of the, really one of the reasons I wanted to work in this company in the first place. But, um, but you know he's you, you can't be the client and the designer you just can't so nope. um, so he's been relegated to you're the client you can come in for these meetings and now you need to go away and so the team is working on it. I like it I like it a lot yeah it's good can I is it, it's all right if we you get onto the topic yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. we're only half an hour into the show so you know it we could talk a bit longer if you want you know anyway no, I, ha- I have no other comments good. So, uh, for that's this very... something that Paul would never say. <laughs> yeah, quite right, Jason. You don't know me well enough to be that rude. I've to me. listened to this show enough to know that <laughs> if I want to be a good guest, that means I have to be snarkier. That is true. It's a fundamental part of being on this show is just to be snarky. Yep. I agree. Um, so... I have got one other thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> No, no, this is this is from your notes, Paul. Right, because I was interested. Yeah. You had a note on the introduction that said, "Mention the great con- conversation around imposter syndrome we've had in Slack," which 
I think that's a very interesting thing, imposter syndrome, because I've felt it ever since I've been in this uh, well, industry. I think if you, know, you don't feel it, then you're not really good at it. I, well, good at having an, a syndrome. No, good, good at being in this business. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, this, this is a perfectly good thing to talk about because um, we run an apprenticeship program in our office and – uh, Steve Hickey is the the guy who runs the program in our uh, in our company, and we have two cohorts of apprentices that uh, come in for I think no, it's like three or four months, and they go through learning all of these different things. They've got different challenges they have to work on: coding challenges, design challenges, strategy challenges, and then they work on client projects as well. Um, and I was giving them a talk yesterday and uh, uh, about typography and. Um, and we sort of ended up on um, learning. And mm. it, and that's really the fundamental thing for anybody in this business is if you don't keep yourself in the habit of learning new things, if you don't always feel like you don't know enough, mm. I don't think you're really good at it. I don't think mm. you're good at being in this industry. Mm. Very true. But do you know what, Marcus? You wouldn't mm. need to bring it up on the podcast if you joined the Slack channel. Yeah, I'm just actually thinking about actually doing that now so carry on guys you I'm can just <laughs> go to boagworld.com forward slash slacking already there and it'll send you an email to me and then i'll ignore it <laughs> yeah. i don't Ooh. know if i want you in my channel of course you do do i let me in i might do i'll consider it <laughs> well so yeah it's been really good we've had some really great conversations in it um, very honest conversations as well. The kind of thing that you wouldn't really have in a social media setting. People have kind of opened up a little bit more. Oh, I've just got a notification. That Who was me. That? Me or uh, Marcus? So you, Jason, I'll let you in. That's that's fine. <laughs> oh, and Marcus. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Marcus, I don't seem to have your email. I'm really sorry. Oh, is there, has there been, been some kind of mistake? Yeah. In it? Just some terrible error. I'm actually doing this now. What am I doing? I'm supposed to be doing a podcast. <laughs> it's like a Pavlovian thing, you know. Ooh, notification, add them to Slack. Shiny metal. It. Right. It's, ma- it's like magpie syndrome. Indeed. So what we're going to talk what we're going to talk about in this very last show of the season. And we've been looking at as the show about, you know, user experience and what that means. But one of the biggest components of creating a user experience isn't the user interface. It isn't having a mobile app. It's not even users moving across multiple platforms or, or any of the other things that we've talked about. One of the biggest components of creating a great user experience is the organizational structure that supports that user experience. The, or the, the lack thereof. The, yes, exactly. The, the lack thereof within an organization and, and where the focus of the organization is. So that's what um, we wanted to focus on in this show. And a great starting point I felt for that conversation with Jason, because uh, Jason just a perfect person to talk about this kind of stuff, is the barriers, the kind of organizational barriers to give people let's give people a taste jason of the kind of things that can get in the way of creating a great user experience from an organizational point of view what ones have you come across um well there's one sort of overriding thing that uh, i think that at least some people have been talking about for a while um i mean you've get gotten at it with the digital transformation uh, adaptation um and i've actually have 
written and talked about this before too, in the notion of calling it web strategy, but it's about within an organization, there's no one department group, something responsible for the user, the customer. Mm. Everybody has their own bit of business. There are sales, marketing, IT, uh, corporate communications. Those are all internal business functions. Whereas the end user, the customer, actually touches all of those through their life cycle. Mm -hmm. And so the barrier, I think, is that the efforts are all piecemeal and they're all motivated in their own self-interest. Essentially, it's their, you know, it's, it's the marketing department's budget. It's, they think that the public facing website is their property. Um, They're responsible for it and they own it and they don't really want to share it, but um, they're not stopping to think about the fact that the customer doesn't really care. Um, They just need to have a good experience using the product, working with this company, and that's going to travel across all of these departments from marketing to sales to customer support. Um, everything has to run well, so IT has to make sure that the systems underneath it are are working and, and connected. Um, we've got a client we're working with now that has um, this collection of their, their public website, their customer support area, their partner support area. They're all different and disparate systems and not connected. And so there's different logins, there's different UIs, there's different content that they can find in all of these different places. And that's separate from what's in their product. Mm. So it's, um, it's a real challenge um, because of that fragmentation. I think also something else that you touched upon there and it's been, uh, I think it was Jared Spool that touched on it as well is that each of these um, different departments they've all got their own incentives their own targets their yeah. own you know and very rarely are those the target to you know make customers happy you know it's it's to meet certain you know financial targets or you know bonuses and that kind of thing so incentivizing yeah. and, t- and creating the right targets I think is a big part of it yeah I mean, it's getting I, 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 you come across it time and time again of why isn't this thing that should be happening happening it's because it's usually because of personal reasons that people are trying to set themselves up for a promotion or something like yeah. that sad but it's true well, we are in, all inherently selfish really you know we we do think about our own self-interest in situations so and that that's just part of human nature and we kind of need to work around that really well actually i I would say that it's not something you need to work around. It's something you need to work with. Yes. Mm. That's and probably I, a good way of working it. And, you know, in looking at um, the notes that, you know, we've sort of collectively assembled for today, that was one of the things that really has come up over and over and over again um, about um, how to how to communicate. Um, and I think for designers – it's hugely important for us, or or the strategist, the person who you know on our team is in charge of this project, um, to be able to communicate to the person uh, responsible in the terms that they understand. Mm. What is the value? Why why should this be the way we do something? And so it has to be aligned with their interest. You know, it's it's persuasion. It's you have to nudge people into making better decisions in a way that suits 
and supports their own best interest. Mm. Mm. And again, that's, you know, that's something that Jared touched on this idea of, you know, you can't convince an executive to care about customer experience and user experience. But what you can do is demonstrate that user experience actually provides a benefit to the executive to achieve whatever goals or, or, you know, um, targets they've got to meet, which is essentially what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think you have to find ways to align with the interest they already have. So I think SEO and accessibility is probably a really good example. Mm. So, you know, it's hard to get people to care about accessibility, but it's hugely important. But it just so happens that if you make something semantically well-coded and and really well put together, that has a benefit of addressing both issues. Mm. So something that's optimized well for accessibility just so happens that that is generally in line with the things to do to make your content more search engine friendly. Mm. So it's, you know, you find ways to sort of get these things in um, under the guise of something else uh, and, and make sure you educate along the way. Cause I, I think that way, you know, next time you have a little bit easier job of it. So, I mean, the question is, is what kind of, what kind of guises can you use to get this stuff into people's heads? Um, well, a lot of it, it comes down, I think there, there's two ways of looking at any project that we might work on or product we want to develop within a company or changes we want to make. And that's either going to make the company money or save the company money. Yeah. And, and ideally both, but anytime you can, because uh, we've had this discussion in our own uh, at Fresh Tilled Soil, um, my background has generally been in larger websites that have a lot more things going on. So mm-hmm. not just a, a purely a marketing website, but something that also incorporates business tools for the organization to mm-hmm. connect different departments or um, enable other kinds of communication that weren't otherwise there. And that makes the cost of making a great website a lot more reasonable when you can also tie it to these other benefits. So, um, previously there have been, uh, at least a decreasing number, but still a present stream of smaller marketing websites. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is that we should never take that as a job rather say we can do this, but in order to actually make it worthwhile, let's look in a little bit with a little bit broader lens and in the in the process of making this public-facing website, what could we do that will ease some pain points for you, dear site owner, to make your life easier? And inevitably, if you talk to them long enough, you find things to do that make it worth the effort. Mm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of this is about people and psychology rather than necessarily business as such you know and 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 necessarily even organizational structures but it's it's cultural in a way it's the culture that builds up in an organization um and oftentimes i was working with an organization yesterday and and the the thing that's holding them back isn't a lack of desire from anybody it's not a lack of leadership it's purely cultural inertia of things that that have kind of 
sprung up that prevents them from making changes things that have become kind of just the way they do things and i'm wondering whether that's the kind of thing you encounter as well do you kind of come across cultural barriers um i think that's present all all the time i think it's present in our own company and i think it's present in everybody that we work with yeah um you know i think we have we always have to kind of exercise um our own views um i think so uh, this was something else that's uh, come up with our apprentices quite a bit um and just internal discussions on our own slack channel about how much we talk about empathy for users and we forget that we also have to apply that same empathy to our dealings with our own mm. colleagues with our clients we have to really look at what makes their day go well or poorly mm. and and we have a good sensitivity to that as designers generally um because if you can apply and you just have to remember to apply it mm. um you know to figure out um i think it was uh, it was probably a talk from Whitney Hess a few years ago um, where I heard her talking about the you know the five whys, and and really it's just asking why enough times to get to <laughs> whatever. It's like oh that's okay. So so you don't want to do that because it interferes with the other thing. So why does it interfere with this other thing? It's like well because we've always done this because this other thing didn't work. Okay, mm. so that's another one. So why does that other thing not work? And and you know we have to excavate. We have to dig down. Um, and it is psychology. It is, and I think. You can't be good in business without the psychology. You can't be good in design without psychology to really dig into the underlying issues and and get people to not give you their assumed solution, but really focus on what is the problem that's preventing them from being successful with this particular endeavor. Mm. And it's uh, I um, I remember interviewing um, Abby Covert once. Uh, and she talked about it. It's like going down the rabbit hole. You kind of keep following it down. Why, 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 why? Until you find what that underlying, you know, issue is. And oftentimes, I, another client I work with, um, you know, I was suggesting that they could do more on social media and, you know, that they could um, actually actively look for potential um people to reach out to it's a charity so people that they could reach out to and help by monitoring social media and they were really resistant to this and you know i kept pushing and pushing as to why this is what the underlying issue is turns out years a few years back they created a a mobile app that essentially scanned social media um looking for certain keywords um and it caused an uproar you know and it got into national press and it caused all kinds of issues um because people felt it was intrusive even though this was published stuff that they were posting on the internet and even though you know brands do it all the time it came back and bit them uh because they did it uh, probably a little bit too early people weren't really ready for it and mm. that that had kind of scarred the culture of the organization um and they've never really kind of got past that um, so it, you know, these kind of, you need to search out these kind of underlying issues, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So the next kind of question is around this kind of business <laughs> silo issue. You've talked about right. all these different business silos existing, um, with their own agendas, their own isolations. 
you know, you've already talked a little bit about how the fact that you need some kind of somebody who's responsible for the customer experience, the user experience to kind of champion those. But how do you get an organization to overcome these business silos and start talking to one another and communicating better rather than kind of throwing the customer over the wall, so to speak, between departments? <laughs> I've just got a lovely picture in my mind. Yeah, I know. Now. So have I now. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I, I think there's, there's two different approaches. One is um, one that I've advocated for a long time and I haven't quite been able to figure out what is the right label, but some kind of high-level executive, chief mm-hmm. experience officer, chief customer officer, something you know, that does exist in some companies. Yeah. But the idea being that their whole role should be focused around the customer. Mm. And they should then use that role and that budget to help all the other business units do things better to serve that customer. So mm. they become an internal group, like an almost like an in-house agency that does projects for all of these other groups. And you can find some way to, you know, charge back and account for it or whatever you want to do to, you know, help support it. But that group then is always keeping the customer in mind and building out all these things that connect all these different areas of the organization so that the experience from, um, you know, marketing to get people into the, into the sales funnel and sales to actually complete the transaction and transferring them into support. Um, I mean, again, this is another area where marketing wants to communicate with people and some of the best people to talk to are people that already use one of your products and, and you're hoping they might be interested in others. But then that relationship with the current customers is owned by customer support. It's a different executive, different budget line, different group. Mm. It's better for the customer to have that communication be connected so that you don't end up with too many emails and you get the right information passed along. But when people are not incentivized to connect those dots, then it, it can't work. So either you have to have somebody who is responsible for it or you need to work really hard to bring design thinking to all of these executives and help put things in terms that matter to them mm. that you know they will have better customer attention if they have better communication through all these other channels and um, you know it's understanding enough of what drives each of these different groups to find the right terms in which to to couch it I mean, to some extent, it's a huge education job, isn't it? Whether you have a chief customer experience officer or whoever does it, it, you know, it's a matter of constantly putting the user in front of people's faces, you know, making them constantly aware of the user's needs. I mean, it goes back to what Lisa Reichelt said when she came on the show and when we were talking about user research. She said 30% of her job is actually doing the research and 70% is communicating that to the rest of the organization. Oh, I'm trying to remember who it was um, earlier in this series that talked about, you know, lead with the video. Yeah. Show the video of the user not being able to get the job done. Yeah. And it's so powerful. Yeah. And, and it's one so, of my favorites. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other, the other thing is um, uh, there was this great book I, I read a few years ago um, by Roger Martin called The Design of Business. 
and it was really about design thinking as he teaches it or was having it taught at the Rotman School of Business in an MBA program uh, in Toronto, I think. And um, he used this term abductive logic, which mm -hmm. I thought was really great. And it's just basically a fancy way of saying use your gut and, mm -hmm. and look sideways at things. And I just thought that was a really great way to say, like, to uh, bring out that understanding that design thinking in business is really just thinking like a designer does in doing all these other things. Mm. We just need to apply it to looking at how an organization works, not just how the project works. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it really kind of drives home to me. I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a piece for Smashing Magazine about what a narrow view we have of the role of designers that we see yeah. designers as as pixel pushers where actually design thinking can be applied you know at such a higher level than we currently do i i think a lot of this has to do with designers and communication mm. it really is at the heart of it and and it's something that um i had a, a wonderful experience in school with a professor who would require with every project that we write a paper explaining the design decisions we made in the course of working on that project. Mm -hmm. And it could mm -hmm. be as short as a paragraph or two, or it could be longer, but we had to talk about why we made the different choices about color and typography and overall approach. And that taught me from the very beginning how to communicate design. Yeah. Mm. And how to explain why this decision is the right decision. Why does this typeface relate to this company or this time and place? Why does this color palette connect better for this target market? And, and that sort of come all the way forward to Mike Montero's book, Design as a Job. Yeah. And, and I never really loved, when I read it, uh, the way that he used the term selling. But it's, it's not wrong. It just... Um, it's a different sort of framework for thinking, but if you're not, if the designer isn't communicating to the client the why behind the design, then they're not designing. Mm -hmm. Like, just make the implication that that is the completion of the act of designing something, is being able to put it into plain English or mm -hmm. whatever the right language is um, about why this is the right decision. If you can't do that simply and clearly to the client, then you're not understanding it well enough yourself. Yeah, yeah. What is it? I, I, uh, one of the many quotes um, assigned to Einstein was that, you know, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you, you don't understand it properly. Yeah. And, you know, that to a certain extent is, is true. You know, communication is such a crucial part of, of understanding stuff because you have to understand it before you can communicate it clearly. Yeah, and so I think... Relating it back to that wider problem, I think if we can't easily communicate the why behind the design, it's hard for us to then apply that same level of thinking to a non-visual problem mm -hmm. and, and, and articulate it. Because, if, again, if you can't articulate it, then you're no good to mm -hmm. this client. Like, you're not being to be helpful if you can't put it into words they understand. Um, Who's doing this well? Who do you look at and think, as an organization, they've really kind of got the importance of creating a great user experience? Well, I, I, there were two really easy ones that came to mind. Um, but those are generally from our world of, of working on the web. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and those I, I think Media Temple honestly like they yeah. real I don't want yeah. to pander to the sponsor but <laughs> they they've got it figured out they they know how to talk to the people who make the stuff mm-hmm. and they know how to support it and they know how to provide the tools that we need um, and and they know how to handle our our needs as well as our clients needs and we mm-hmm. feel just as comfortable setting a client up directly with Mailchimp knowing that they can call and get the support they need yeah. Uh, and that's that's huge. Um, Mailchimp is another fantastic example. Yeah. Um, I, I think they've really got it down in in all ways of communicating with them. Um, and, but there was a, an offline one that I thought was really worth bringing up, mm-hmm. um, and that's a department store here in the U.S. called Nordstrom. I don't. Oh yeah, Nordstrom. I know Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If you've ever shopped there, you'll this will stick out and it will ring true. I think for any store you've ever been into, um, one they're incredibly courteous, and when you go through the purchase process, there's this one little thing that really stands out. First of all, if you have shopped with them often, if you have a, like a, a, car, a, what, a credit card through them, you get these sort of rewards points that build up over time for discounts. They'll always look that up for you, whether or not you have any of their little coupons with you. They'll always check, and, and they'll, they'll do it right away. Um, but when you've completed the purchase, they walk around the sales desk to hand you the bag. Oh. And it's, nice. it's just, yeah, it is. And it's just, they, it's a thank you, have a great day. Um, and then should you ever have any reason to bring something back, you never need to have the receipt. They can always scan it and look it up, and they'll just do that without ever asking or questioning anything. So yeah. the whole cycle of interaction with them is just always handled so smoothly. Even And, and their point-of-sale system has, has recently gotten a lot better. It, it used to be this really sort of clunky-looking, you know, looked like a DOS-based thing from the 80s or something. But, yeah. um, but it, it, they tied it together just well enough so that they would always be able to kind of know who you are, know your history... Um, be able to connect it to uh, one offering to email you your receipt rather than print it out uh-huh. was something that was done there long before I saw it in any other store. Uh-huh. And, and just another little convenience to yeah. not have this strip of paper, but not need it because you'd always have it in your phone um, and they can always look it up. It's just a, a really good experience there. What How long have they been around? Oh, years. Yeah. A long time. I mean, they weren't uh, in the areas where I was growing up, but um but they've, they certainly seem to have a lot of history, and they've they've been around here in the Boston area, New York, for a long time. The, 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 what yeah. I quite like about um, those examples there with Nordstrom is the fact that it it you know it's the kind of thing that involves multiple groups across the organization working to make happen. So, yeah. for example, going back without a receipt, so there has to be an IT system that's able to look that information up. There's, they've got to make sure that all of the items are logged in such a way. So there's there's a logistical back-end system. There's a yeah. customer experience element there of, a, you know, the kind of customer service at the, the, you know, the person that you're dealing with. And there's all these different parts that need to come together to create that little nice experience. 
And and that's what really impresses me is where where organisations do that, whether it be Disney's Magic Band that involved everything right. from the hotels through to the parks through to, you know, the restaurants and all the rest of it working together, or whether it be something like Zappos with their, you know, their... Um, their you know 365 day return policy and you know the fact they pay shipping both ways that has got you know affects the picking system affects the accounting system all of these different things are all impacted and that's where i think user experience is at its best where where it it's you know, it involves a lot of people coming together to create something special that makes you feel because the nordstrom example makes you feel special doesn't it you know that it does you're more important than their own inconvenience do you think though that the companies that are doing it well the old companies i mean companies like mailchimp they're kind of relatively young and small you know they've come from small beginnings and and they kind of live and breathe what we're talking about yeah. but something like <laughs> excuse me nordstrom or disney disney been around for decades um will have had to gone through cultural change for these things to happen mm-hmm do you think that the the only way that that can happen? Because I, 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 where I'm going with this, I bet that this has come from on high. This is, you know, the, basically the directors of those companies have, think in the way that we're thinking that it should be customer fir- customer first, customer experience, all those kind of things, and that it's been driven from on high. This is the way you're going to do it from now, um, rather than uh, there being some kind of customer experience director or department i i suspect it's come it comes from the the actual directors of the company i i think that that's probably true in with regard to a a large sort of calcified organization i mean and when i say that so one that has like the reef has built out you know over decades and um i think that there needs to be an awareness that it's a that it's a challenge and I also think that that chief experience officer or whatever wouldn't exist if the board didn't think it was mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, there does need to be an awareness there. I think it's really difficult to change the course of the company from the bottom up, but I don't think it's impossible. I'd- so, so there's a good question there, which is a question that, that we probably ought to end on, even though I could carry on a lot longer. <laughs> Which is that, you know, the people listening to this show generally aren't senior managers because they've got better things to do with their lives than listen to two old men from Britain waffling (laughs) on. Um, Not that I'm implying that our listeners have got nothing better to do. (laughs) Shit. Um, uh, Yeah. Anyway. um, Move on quickly. Yeah, moving on quickly. The people that are listening to this are, you know, on the ground, you know, the grassroots of the organisation what if anything can they do in this kind of situation to bring about the kind of organizational change that allows these these huge things to to happen um i so i think it actually ties together a bunch of things that we've talked about one is the habit of learning needs to extend into the habit of sharing yeah and mm. and you have to also in sharing communicate the why mm-hmm. so we have an internal Slack channel in our company. And I think I'm betting that you guys have seen this in a number of other digital agencies. There are some that really get it and are constantly learning. And then there's others that have settled 
in yeah. and settled into just doing the work. Yeah. And you know they have to bill their hours. They need to go in, and and it's a it's a real challenge to always be um, pushing these things out and and moving forward. So r- what we've tried to do is never just share a link to an article. Share the that article with a couple sentences of why. Yeah. And if, and so that's one of those things. It gives people a reason to actually read it. So sharing that stuff about the why. Why is this a good idea? What are these things that we could do? Um, so that shows everybody around you that you're thinking about things that are in their terms. So, um, I thought actually, um, so throwing back to an older episode with actually one of my near neighbors, Jonathan Stark, um, we (laughs) both live in Providence. Um, he was talking about nurturing repeat business about sending off these emails, like once a day, send an email to somebody, Hey, this thing really made me think of you because of X. Yeah. That works inside the organization too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you share these things out and give people a reason why it connects to what, what matters to them. So that you lay the foundation there of an appreciation for what good design can do. And you find a small project, something mm-hmm. that you can undertake and make sure that you can track it and present the win. Mm-hmm. And be able to do so in terms that resonate the real costs, savings, whatever it is that will communicate to your boss and other people in the organization um, and then give a little lunchtime talk about it. Uh, you know, find ways to sort of present and add, show people can see, look, this small thing had this huge impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked on tiny little web app a bunch of years ago that connected a rebate program and... It connected, uh, IT helped me get the data upload every night and built out uh, this thing so that they would put a, a postcard out with a product that was being sent out with this rebate and there would be two numbers from that invoice. The customer could put those two numbers into a web page. It would look up in this database from the data that gets uploaded every night and gives them a shipping label to send back their old product. That goes back to a fulfillment facility that checks in those same two numbers from the shipping label. Mm-hmm. That looks the same data uh, in the same database, notes what has been sent back, and automatically sends an email over to accounting. Accounting then knows that something's ready to get printed out for the rebate. And they mm-hmm. go and they have one page to print out with a print style sheet so it's nice and easy to look at and understand. And they take that over and they send out those rebate checks. Mm. It was no more than three days to build. And it saved, on average... 10 to 12 hours a week per person in the accounting department. Yeah. And it shortened the rebate cycle to. from eight weeks to two. Yeah. So the customers loved it too. Mm. So fantastic that, so that being able to communicate that. And if, if your boss doesn't care, take it to the CFO, take it to somebody else who does or yeah. publish it somehow. So people can see it. Yeah. And, and that's how you can just pick off these small things. And, and that's going to do two things. One, it's going to either help your own organization understand and appreciate the value of design thinking and, and acting in this more proactive and collaborative way, or at the very least, it gives you great things to put in your portfolio so when the organization doesn't change and you decide that you can't stay there, um, that you can document that and take that with you. Um, I love it. I love it. That actually is a beautiful way of wrapping up the whole series really this you know that at the heart of ux if you want ux um to 
you know, to grow um, and to be more appreciated, you need to educate and you need to show. You know, you need those prototype projects, but you also need to be infusing and communicating what it is you do and how you do it. Brilliant ending, Jason. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. you for having me on the show. So um, where can people find out a little bit more about you if they want to know what you're writing about and speaking on and that kind of stuff? Uh, you can find me at jpamentel, J-P-A-M-E-N-T-A-L, on almost anything. Um, I write some stuff on Medium. I post lots of pictures of my dog, Tristan, on Instagram. I rattle on on Twitter a lot. Um, uh, you could find my book on responsive typography uh, from O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just check out Fresh Tilled Soil and see some of the other work that we do there. Cool. Good, good. Cool. Marcus, you yes. get to do the very last sponsored slot of this season. I do. So, right. Are you, are you, are you, I'm fascinated. Short, sharp. I, to the point. I'm fascinated, right, dear listener. You know, last last week we had a little bit of a ticking off. Seth on the show, <laughs> he had words with Marcus. Seth, just so you know, Jason, Seth is a a, a a marketer, marketer, very very knowledgeable guy. Afterwards, he had words with Marcus about his sponsored slot, <laughs> <laughs> and and might and pointed out some areas where it might be improved. Yeah. So let's see if you've learned anything, Marcus. Go. No, of course, I, of course, I haven't. Are you um, going to go? Yeah, I'm expecting something really slick now, kind of, you know. <laughs> no, it's actually quite a lot shorter. Okay. So I've taken that on board. Good. Right, go. Um, but I did kind of have a think about it, because he, what he was saying um, after the show was kind of like, you know, you need to focus on, on the thing that makes you special as an agency or you personally, um, you know, the, 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 the differentiator, if you like. Yeah. And I kind of thought about that a bit, and I thought, you know, obviously you have to know your stuff, you have to have experience, you have to have work, worked on um, various projects, projects that are relevant to the one that you're working on at the time all of that kind of thing but i actually think with me me personally people people hire me because i do ramble on and uh, i'm quite approachable really see now uh, seth is gonna his eyes are gonna be spinning yeah. he's gonna be rolling in his grave even though he's not dead i think i'm quite an empathetical person you there are you mm-hmm. that's um from that point of view and that's just i like to have a bit of a chat really but anyway Focus. All yes. business is um, personal. And if you don't yeah. like the person you're working with, you won't work with yeah. them again. Absolutely. Spot on. Exactly. Right. Right. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Back to this bit. Right. Um, so I've talked about design and development, and now I'm going to talk about consultancy, because we say web strategy is one of the things we do escape. Mm-hmm. Um, consultancy, which is a bit of a dirty word um, to some people. I do remember one of our clients saying to me, so you're a, you're a consultant, I so I pay you to take my watch so you can tell me what the time is. Is that right? <laughs> which um, which has stuck with me, which I thought was particularly good. Um, <coughs> Best fortunately, we, we, we proved that not to be the case with that particular person. And I thought, well, I'll, again, looking at the, the word consultancy, what, what does the dictionary say it is? And the dictionary says it's a professional practice that gives expert advice within a particular field. Um, which is okay, but I think it's a bit more than that. I think it's help as well as advice, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, well, it certainly is in our case. Um, and we mentioned Jared Spall earlier on in the show, and we discussed with him in the in the show earlier in the series, or maybe it was even the last series, I can't remember now, um, that you can't change seniors, senior management's mind about UX and digital and that kind of thing. But 
the conclusion of that discussion was that you you can, as we've mentioned today, as long as you do it in their terms, mm. and that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what we bring to the table as consultants. We can make organisational change happen that's good for the organisation, organization, its users, and its staff. But you have to do that. You have to understand what what problems are, and you have to talk to people in terms that they understand. And with that, I shall shut up. Thanks, Paul. Very good. I, I like it. Short and to the point, and also. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just need an outside voice, and that's I, a big part of consultancy. I think. I, I think that that it is. You're right. It's a challenging word for some people, but I think it is exactly the right word. And mm. I think it's mm. our ability as designers and design thinkers to take that abductive logic and turn that critical eye to how an organization works mm-hmm. without bias. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's really important. We don't have the ownership of any particular area because we're looking in, and and we don't really know anybody there other than the people that we're directly working with. So we can be a little bit more free to say it would make a lot more sense if we were to do something to connect here and here rather yeah. than do this thing that you think we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. it's that that freedom to not being constrained by hierarchies and the fact that you know you've got to turn up to work with this person next week means that, you know, we can maybe get away with saying things that, that others can't, which is right. a huge part of the value of consultancy. I think, um, Marcus last mm. joke, last joke in the season, leave us with a goodie. Yes, I think so. Again, from, from Ian Lasky, he's coming up with many good he's ones. On at the moment. Thank you, Ian. Um, while attending a marriage, a marriage weekend, I'm not sure what that is. Anyway, um, Frank and his wife Anne listen to the instructor declare, it is essential that husbands and wives know the, things, know the things that are important to each other. He then addressed the men. Can you name and describe which your wife's favourite flower? Frank leaned over, touched Anne's jump. <laughs> I can't, can't speak now. <laughs> Frank leaned over, touched Anne's arm gently and whispered, home pride, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Does that work abroad? I don't know. Do, do you have home pride in America? Uh, well, I'm finally getting it now that it's probably a brand of flour, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's one, one you bake with. Yep. Yes. It, yes. T- it good, took me a minute. Good joke but... told awfully, as ever. Well, that's, <laughs> that's how we work. That's how we roll, Marcus, or at least yeah. I was going to say you, but to be honest, <laughs> good advice badly delivered applies as well, I think, really. <laughs> <laughs> That should be our new strap line. I'm going to change the homepage of my website. Good advice, badly delivered. Perfect. So next season. So this is the last one of this season. Woo. We're going to come back on the 28th of January um, because obviously I've already wound down for Christmas. So, and my Christmas goes through well into January. Well, you have so, to ease back into things. Well, exactly. You slow down and then you ease up. You know, it's it's got to be that way. So we'll come back on the 28th of January. Now, I've been thinking about what to do for next season. Mm. Um, and I was kind of a bit undecided because this one has been a very fo- kind of quite a focused season on a specific area, um, which is generally fine. But, you know, I think we, we, every now and again, you want to kind of let loose and just see what kind of bubbles to the surface. So ne- next season, that sounds like farting in the bath, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry it just suddenly occurred to me um next season i'm thinking we're going to do a season on what makes you passionate right so what we're going to do is have a different guest on each 
um, show and just mm-hmm. let them talk about whatever they're passionate about. So, Jason, perhaps we ought to get you back on to talk about typography, for example. I'd love to. Um, you know, and let just people go, go with whatever their, their big passion is. And I'm also thinking, because we've had some great conversations in the Slack channel, com for such slacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, you know, there are some people in there that are really passionate about certain subjects. And I'm just thinking, well, let's get them on the show. You know, let's let's just kind of see where the conversations go. So I've, I've created this kind of very woolly subject area for next um, next time. And I, I think, it, yeah, it should be interesting because that's you always get the best out of people when you get them talking about what they're really into. So yeah, how wide how wide can we go on this? No, we can't talk about cricket. Okay. What, well, I remember when Jeremy Keith was last on the show. I'm sure I can't remember what the series was about, but he talked about sci-fi books for the whole time, and it was great. Yeah, press. We ought to. That was a good one. We could just have a. What about? We could just have a season. Yeah, let's leave it. Out. Might be web stuff. Might not yeah. be web stuff. Or it might be more than one thing that you're passionate. We could about. cover it. Yeah, we could basically. We could even maybe break it down and have guests on. So maybe a couple of guests and pre-recorded videos. You know, shorter little segments. You could get Mark Bolton and I to come on and just talk about cycling and nothing about type. There we go. That would seem perfect. Yeah, we that would get be. Chris Scott on to talk about cycling as well. We can. There get we go. Chris Scott. Chris Scott won't ever come on the podcast. <laughs> or if he did, he wouldn't actually say anything. So he'd just be sitting in front of a. Chris Scott. I've worked it out. He's the Stig of web design. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he is. Uh, he never actually good. speaks. Mm. An amazing web designer or <laughs> web person, not a designer, but, you know, web professional, just never speaks. It's That's true. fantastic. Okay, so and there being, we go. That is this season. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it. you've come to appreciate how broad and wide and deep and inspiring user experience is. Um, and um, I hope it's maybe turning into your passion as we come on to next season. But for now, thank you to all of our guests, including Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. And, uh, and we will see you again on January the 28th. Have a good Christmas, people. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.